If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to John chapter 11. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles under the seats in front of you. We would love uh, for you. If you don't have a Bible, just take that. That's yours now. Um, and so we just want to make sure everybody's got a Bible. John chapter 11. And as you're turning there, um, we're continuing through this kind of mini-series since Easter, looking at God and our emotions. And, and I, I want to ask you a question. This is a question I want you to be kind of thinking about um, as, we're, as we're looking at this passage together this morning. And this isn't one of those questions. I, I do ask a lot of questions when I preach, and I do and I, I want you to respond. This is not one of those. So this is one of those where when I ask it, you just think about it, all right? When we talk about emotions, when we talk about our feelings, um, the question I want us to, to ask this morning, ask ourselves, what do I do? What do I do when I feel feelings? <laughs> what, do I, what do I do when, when emotions start to bubble up? When things are happening and maybe it's with the kids or my spouse or finals and future plans and, ooh, I'm feeling something. What do we do when those things start to bubble? Growing up, I've, I've shared my story a lot, um, but, you know, growing up as a, my dad doing a lot of stuff with salvage vehicles, I've driven a lot of vehicles uh, through the course of my, I don't know, I think I started driving when I was like 12. You know, things happen differently on the farm. That's kind of, you know, and, and it's funny because some of the vehicles I remember driving, it's like, I probably shouldn't have, you know, it's like you can see the road through the floorboard or, you know, that, those types of vehicles. Like, I lived on a gravel road and sometimes there's too much dust in the car and it's like, I can't really see and open the window, you know. That, you know, it's whatever. It's, it's the country in Missouri. So, uh, you just do whatever you do, right? Um, and, and there were times where I, I remember, I don't, I don't think I've driven many vehicles that didn't have one or two lights on on the dashboard. Right? And my dad used to tell me that those lights, you know, the, the only reason those lights are there is for the manufacturers to get more money when you bring your car to the shop and say, hey, this light's on. And they're like, oh, it is. You're right. You know, and then they'll, they'll do some fancy thing with a computer and shut the light off and then you pay them $300. That's, that's the only reason that lights come on on your dashboard. Um, and so, so what we would do is what my dad taught me is, and I don't know if he was joking or if this is serious, maybe I should ask, I should probably follow up. But uh, uh, one of the things that he, he encouraged us to do is, you know what you do, with, you know how to fix those lights, you don't have to take it in, you don't have to pay that much. You just get some black electrical tape, tear off a little piece, and you just cover over that light and bing, bang, boom, we're done, right? And no more lights, we're good. You see, I, I, as, as I've been doing my own work, as, I, as over the past few years, as I've, as I've wrestled with, what does it look like to be a fully present person? What's that look like? What does it look like to show up in my life and in my ministry and in my family? What does it look like to, to show up? I, I, a working illustration that I've heard is, is that feelings, emotions can be a lot like those lights on your dashboard. And sometimes, sometimes when things start to bubble up, when that light comes on, I don't know about you, but there are times where I get frustrated when those lights come on. It's like, you don't tell me, car, what I need to do. I own you, right? I don't need to change oil every 3,000 miles. What am I, rich? You know, like, I, there's, there's or 30,000, not 3,000. Anyway, I, yeah, three. I don't know much about vehicles, as you can tell. 
Gene Gutwine can attest to that. But you know, there, there's times where we can get frustrated because these things bubble up. But, but what if, what if those lights on your dashboard, they're not something the, to, to cover over or, you know, pretend like it's not there. Or, or even, I was talking to somebody this past week and they were saying, you know, like when they were, they were sharing with me their experience where they're like, I don't shove my emotions down. I get overwhelmed by them. Like they're too big. You know, and, and I think that whether or not we, we get the tape and we cover over or we're, you know, we're just, we're just overwhelmed, what if the invitation, it's like that light's not just there for the manufacturers to make more money. What if that light is there for us to have an opportunity to be curious, to create space? You know, when, the, when those lights come on, it's an invitation for us to, to kind of pull over and just stop Maybe pop the hood, check the oil, kick the tires. No, the illustration breaks down, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like, what if our emotions, it's not something that when, when we feel them, when we experience them, they're, they're not something that we pretend like it's not there. We just cover over them, just keep going, just keep plowing on until our engine blows up or we get overwhelmed. But the invitation from Scripture and from our Creator God who created us in a way that we experience the world in, through certain things, what if the invitation is for us to create appropriate space to be curious, to engage, to tell the truth, to stop, to slow down? What if, what if that's the invitation this morning? And I suggest as we, as we look at scripture, as we look at John chapter 11, as we look at Jesus experiencing emotions, as we look at emotions as, as we see it through the Bible, I, I believe, I would, I would suggest, I put forth to you, that that's the invitation. See, I, I think lots of times what we experience in, in Christianity, especially if you're new in the church, you, you look around and it's like, you, you guys look pretty good in here, right? You can smile about it. You can say, yeah, I do look good. I took a shower this morning. I refresh my deodorant. I'm, I'm doing good. You know, and for, for new people coming into this experience, it's like, oh, if they only knew. Just keep the smile on, right? See, the invitation with Christianity isn't that we have it all put together. So we don't. And we come to a God who says, yeah, come to me with all your brokenness and see what I can do. We find space. And as we, as we look at John chapter 11 this morning, there are two things that I, that I really want to focus on as we think about, okay, all right, what does that look like then? If that's the invitation, what does that look like? And the first thing that I think we have to understand, we have to wrestle with if we're going to create space for these emotions, is that there is space for what we're experiencing and who God is. There's space for both of those things. There's space for what we're experiencing and who God is. And the second thing that we see is that there is space for our future hope and our present experience. There's space for our, for our future hope and our present experience. So, so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning. If you would, again, John chapter 11, we're going to be starting, I got to get to it, we're going to be starting with verse 17. And if you would stand with me as we read God's word. And kind of a, a tradition that we do here at Compass Church is I'm going to read and then I'll say this is the word of the Lord and in response you'll say thanks be to God. And it's just a way that we as a congregation can engage together with our bodies and our voices and just acknowledge what we're doing here. So 
Chapter 11, John chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Okay, so just, can I, I just want to pause just for a second. For those of you, oh, this is new to me. This, we're talking about two sisters who just buried their brother four days ago. That's the situation. That's the context. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said, this, said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we praise you. We thank you for your goodness. God, even as we read this, the, your words together this morning, God, I pray that you, would, that you would speak. You would meet us in this place. Give me the words that you want me to say and give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so again, the first thing that we're looking at as we think about this passage and what we've just read, the first thing is that there is space for what we're experiencing and who God is. The invitation is not to cover up, it's not to be overwhelmed, but it's to create space. And, and as we see Mary and Martha engaging with their experience, 
Martha, it says that before Jesus had even got to the village, she went out and met him. And what was the very first thing she says? What's the first word out of her mouth? What is it? Lord. That's a question I want you to respond to. So, yeah. Lord. That's the first thing she says. Now, we know this isn't, this isn't Jesus' like, nickname, right? This isn't like a pet name she had for him or anything. This is a, this is a distinction of authority. She comes to him in her brokenness, in her, in her sorrow, in her grief. And the first thing that she says, still in that space, is Lord. This, this title that designates you are still in authority, you are still in control, you still have power, you still have authority, you are still in control over my life. She says, Lord. So she's creating space in the midst of her sorrow. She's saying, this is who you are, this is who I believe you to be. And she follows it up by saying, if you would have been here, right? If you would have been here, go back to, to verse 20. Or 21, excuse me. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Then verse 22, but even now, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She's not, we know that Martha isn't, she's not expecting Jesus to raise her brother from the dead. She's not expecting that. When she says that, she's, she's again, designating that he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. It's what she says later on. You are Messiah. You are the one coming into the world. She's not expecting the immediate uh, deliverance from all this pain and all this suffering. But she's just saying, you are who you say you are, even in the midst of my suffering. And when she says that, again, she says, Lord. So she designates the authority. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. What's she, what's she doing there? I think what she's doing is she's creating that space that says these two things can be true. These two things are my experience. You are Lord and I don't know what the heck you're doing. If you would have been here. And, and, and the reality is, they called for Jesus. They sent plenty of word and plenty of time for him to get there in time. And if you, if you read earlier on in the passage, they send word to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the one you love is sick. The one you, so the designation is, Jesus loved them. It wasn't an issue of oh, he didn't care or he was too busy. And I, I love, in, in my mind, you know, as I was thinking about this response of like, Jesus, the one you love. It wasn't like, you know, Jesus gets this word and he's like, the one I love. Hmm, I love a lot of people. I am Jesus. It's kind of my thing. You know, like growing up in Kirksville, my dad, my dad still, I mean, he knew everybody. Everybody knew him. And so by extension, people knew me. You know, and, and I remember when my wife and I, we were first married, we'd be in like Hy-Vee and people go, oh, Luke, how you doing? Oh, oh, it's good to see you. How's Daryl? I'm a friend of your dad's. Oh, yeah. And it's like, that doesn't help me at all. Like a friend of Daryl's doesn't, I know it means something to you. It doesn't mean anything to me. And they would leave and my wife would be like, you didn't introduce me. I was like, I have no idea who that person was. No idea. See, when, when Jesus heard, hey, the, the one you love is ill, he knows who it is. And, and Martha, in this moment, and Mary, we see that she says the same thing. She says, Lord, again, designating authority, if you would have been here. I don't want to speak too far in back past what Scripture says, but I think that we can feel the, 
I mean, what's under the surface there? The questions, the confusion. I did everything that I was supposed to do. We sent for you. The questions that must have come from, do you not love? Maybe we, maybe we got it wrong. Do you not love us? Did you have better things to do? Were you too busy? Is that who you are? See, there's, there's so many questions and so many things. And yet the, the invitation, I believe, as we, as we just look at this, is that there is space to be able to say, this is, I, I believe who you are and... This is the reality of my experience as I see it right now. And I don't understand how those two things go together. I remember um, a few years ago, I asked, I asked my daughter if I could share this. And she said it was okay. Yesterday was actually our 10-year anniversary. Um, uh, she had a double transplant 10 years ago. Kidney and liver. Crazy, crazy experience. Um, and and I, I remember not long before we had the actual transplant. We were living up in Iowa. Um, shout out. There's Iowa people in here. Uh, we were living up in Iowa, and uh, we thought, that, like, we had these different experiences. Things happened, and we literally thought she had been healed. I, I didn't grow up in a charismatic church. I don't, you know, it's like, I don't understand healing. I believe it happens. I don't understand it, um, and yet I believe it happens, and we believed in that. There were quite a few things that happened in a row. And it's like, okay, she's healed. I don't get it. But we're going to move in that. We're going to walk in that. We're going we're to proclaim it. And as we're proclaiming healing, I think it was a week later, she gets sick again. You know, and we're like, well, we, we know that she's healed. So what does this mean? I don't know what to do with this. So we took her to the to the hospital and they said yeah we got to get her up to Minneapolis and so put her in an ambulance I went home to to be with our son and and I mean this long time ago and my wife went up there with her and I can remember standing in my driveway again in these two spaces where it's like Lord and what are you doing and I like it feels weird to admit this you know in a sermon but in that moment I cursed God like I just lost it. Because I, I, in that moment, I kept thinking, God, you see that you're a good father. A good father would not do this. They wouldn't make us think that you had worked and then not work. Like, the, the, you, you wouldn't do that. And so either you're not good or you're not powerful or what? And I just, oh, I just lost it. And I had, one of my best friends was there with me, and he just sat with me in the midst of it. He didn't, he didn't try and correct my theology in that moment. He didn't try and say, ooh, I wouldn't really say those words to God. He's God. He just sat with me. And the crazy thing about that experience is that after it's like, oh, just get it out. What I felt after that wasn't shame. It wasn't condemnation. It was just God's presence. Just being with me. I know that you're scared. I know that you're angry. I know you don't understand. But I'm here. See, that's, that's what we see. I, I believe that's what we see throughout the Psalms. 
I think that's one of the reasons we have the Psalms is for us to be able to, to know what do I do with all these emotions and in the presence of God and say, okay, Lord, and what do I do? Like we see, we see the, the psalmist talking about shame, grief, pain, loneliness, sorrow, discouragement, and turmoil. And so many times throughout the psalm, like if you look at Psalm 31, it, like the psalmist is talking like, ah, oh, everything's going bad and people who want to kill me and God, you're nowhere to be seen and God, I love you and I trust you. And it's like, what? What's happening? And yet it seems like when we understand that God is big enough to hold all of our big feelings and not, not again be like, hey, you need to clean that up before you come talk to me, mister. But the invitation is like, yeah, this hurts. Yeah, th- this is a lot. Yeah, and when we come into the space knowing that we can both say, Lord, and I don't understand, we create space for those experiences and those emotions, and I think that is the invitation. That's, I think that's what Jesus is doing with Mary and Martha, because what we see after that, again, I think it leads us to this second thing that I was talking about, the second point. There is space for our future hope and our present experience, our present reality. There is space for our future hope. See, our future hope as believers, as people who know Jesus, who who put their faith and trust in Jesus, is that we know the end of the book, right? We know that death is not the end, we know, we know that the Bible says that, that our God it will come and, and pain will be no more. He will wipe away every, every time I think about that verse, it just moves me. Because when I think about he will wipe away every, I just think of, oh, I get emotional. Because I think of God just saying, oh, I see that. Let me, let me just, let me wipe that away. You know, the Bible says... Jesus, a smoldering wick he will not put out, and a bruised reed he will not break. He is kind, and he is generous, and we know that all of the pain, all of the suffering that we experience during the brokenness of this life is that that is not the end. Amen? And we're in it. Hard things are hard. You, I, I, was, I was talking to, to somebody here a few months ago, and they were saying that if you don't get angry, if you don't feel sad, like a heart that works is a heart that's angry at times because there's so much brokenness in our world. There's so much oppression in our world. There are, there are people who have power, who are abusing people who don't. There are, there are people who are being caught up in, in civil wars and term right now in our world. And if we don't get sad, then there's some, our, our hearts, we've hardened our hearts. And see, there is space to say we know the end of the book and praise God that, that death is not the final answer and... It hurts. I, it's, what, it's what Paul talks about, I believe, in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 when he's talking about mourning. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. He's saying, look, our, pres- our future hope informs our present experience. It doesn't remove it. It doesn't remove it. It informs it. 
It doesn't remove it. Jesus, I, I love when, when Mary and Martha come into this situation and they're, they're, they're experiencing their, their feelings and their experiences in the lordship of Jesus and being truthful with what they're experiencing. What do they see Jesus do? What do they see him do? Weep. Right. Before he raises their brother from the dead, he engages with them with where they're at. And it, it's, it's so cool because it's a different, the, the word there, the, like the Hebrew, it's a, it's a different, or Greek, it's a different word than what the, the mourners, the, the, the Jewish people, and the way they're weeping. It's a different word. Like this is void of hope and despair and all. And, and Jesus, like he's weeping. He's moved in his spirit, it says deeply. Uh, one translation says he's outraged by the brokenness. He's outraged by what he sees, and he engages with them. See, we experience a God. Isn't that awesome? We experience a God who, when we say, yes, I know I have future hope, and right now, this shouldn't be. We, we experience a God who's like, yes, I know, and I'm with you in that. I feel that with you. This world is broken, and he weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. There's space for that. Isn't that beautiful? See, there, there's, there is space for that. And, and the, the question is, I was, I was processing that, this with my wife uh, here just over the past few days. And I kept thinking, okay, well, how do we do that then? If, if, we're, if we're trying to, to be in this where, where it's like, okay, I have this future hope and I have this present reality. And the future hope, it informs it, but it doesn't remove it. Paul says, mourn. You should still mourn. When we lose people, when, when people die, we mourn. We feel it. When we see oppression, we get mad. Those are things that are appropriate. And we, there's space for, for who God is and what we... So how, what does it look like? What does it look like? Like we can talk about this theoretically. Oh yeah, the Bible says this. But what does it look like tomorrow when you go to work? Right? Tomorrow or, or after, let's say after this, you go to the Mexican restaurant. Because let's be honest, right? 75% of us are going to be eating chips and salsa at 1230. Right? What, what happens when you go there and your waitress is like taking a little long? It's like... Well, I guess we should have got out of church early, you know, like what, what happened? What do you, I, and, and as I was talking to my wife about this, I think the first thing that we, we, the first invitation that if we're going to create space in this way, I think the first thing that we need to do is practice curiosity. Craig talked about this a little bit last week. Practice curiosity. There, there's so many times where it's like we, we, we move so fast through life, we don't even take the time to wonder about what our body's trying to tell us. We don't take the time. The, the psalmist actually says um, in Psalm 139, at the very beginning, Psalm 139, verse 1, Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. He's saying, Lord, you, you know me, God. You've searched me, you know me. And at the end of it, Psalm 139, verse 23, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. So he's saying, you know me. He's saying, search me and know my heart. So there's this, this is who you are, and this is what I want you to do. And yet the reality is, is I was talking about this with my wife. It's like, well, God already knows that. So who needs to know? I do. The, 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 the plea, the cry, the prayer is, God, know me and continue to know me so I can know me. Right? 
And so as we, as we go out at tomorrow or even this afternoon, when you're engaging with your kids or your spouse or your roommates or, or the waitress or the, the gas station attendant who's being way too slow and you don't know why he has that job or whatever, you know, it's like the, the first thing that we are invited into is to practice curiosity. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm a little, I'm breathing a little shallow. My chest is tight. Ooh, my neck is getting, you know, like, what are, you know, the, practice curiosity. Ooh, oh, I wonder what's going on there. What's happening there? And then, and then the second thing is telling the truth. You practice curiosity. Well, I'm getting, I, okay, God, what do you want me to know about my neck being so tight? Ooh, I'm getting frustrated. All right, let's, let's not be churchy with my words. I'm angry. Not just frustrated. I'm getting angry. Things are not working the way they're supposed to do. Okay, God, what do you want me to know about this anger that I'm feeling? See, because when we tell the truth, it brings us back to practicing curiosity. What do you want me to know about this anger? What do you, I, I was asking my wife, and I asked her if I could share this because I think it helps uh, illustrate this. And she, she had an experience where she was out in Utah uh, walking in the mountains. And, you know, it's like, well, that is hard for you, right? Like, I wish I could have been there. Uh, but she was out in Utah walking, and she has this deep fear like a, this, this core fear of bears and big cats. Now, she's from Texas. I don't think there's bears and big cats down in Texas. But, uh, you know, there's, for some reason, there's this core fear. And she said she was out walking around, and all of a sudden she started to feel something. And she engaged this moment of curiosity. And she said, okay, I'm feeling something. What is this? God, what, what am I feeling? Well, I feel fear. She's out walking by herself. I feel fear. God, what do you want me to know about this fear? Again, curiosity. Oh, I feel fear that I think I'm going to be attacked by a bear. I don't even know if there are bears out in Utah. Or I don't even know what the plural of bear is. Is it bears or bear? You know, like, uh, I, what, I, I don't even know what's, what's going on. Practicing curiosity, telling the truth. Oh, I'm afraid that I'm going to be attacked. God, what do you want me to know about this? And she said, in that moment, God so, so graciously said, oh, you're afraid that you're going to be helpless. You're going to be in a situation where you're helpless. And being attacked by a bear would be a pretty helpless experience. I don't know if you've seen The Revenant, but don't watch it if you haven't seen it. It's scary. Right? Being attacked by a bear is not a good idea. And she's like, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm scared of being helpless. Telling the truth. God, what do you want me to know about that, though? What do you want me to know about that fear of being helpless? Practicing curiosity. You're afraid of being helpless because you think I'm passive. That's what she said. God, God just kind of spoke to her. You think I'm passive like so many other people have been, have been passive in your life and you've been hurt by that. And she said she was able to go back to telling the truth. Yeah, it's true. I believe you're passive. I don't believe you're going to work. I believe I'm going to be helpless. God, what do you want me to know about that? See, when, when, we, when we engage with this, like she did, when we engage with this in, in our own lives and say, oh, I'm feeling something. What am I feeling? God, what do you want me to know about what I'm feeling? Oh, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling angry. Well, God, what do you want me to know about this anger? Oh, my, my future plans do not look like they're turning out the way I thought they would. Oh, yeah, that's true. I thought I'd be in a much different place at this point in my life. What do you want me to know about that, God? You don't think my plans are very good. Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't. I don't believe you're good. 
I don't believe you're working. See, when, when we engage with that in that way, see, lots of times we don't do this. We don't engage with our emotions. We don't engage with our feelings. Because one of the major things I've always heard is that we're going to get stuck. I'm going to get stuck there. And what's the point of just feeling my feelings, right? I mean, for so long, I, I would, I'd tell people, like, I don't cry. Like, if, you know, and, and it's like a conscious thing. Like, if, if something's moving and I start to feel teary, I just shut it off. I just have a switch in my brain, boop, you know, and it's like, why would you cry if you don't need to? That seems dumb, right? And yet what I realized is that when I shut part, uh, those parts of myself off, I don't experience the parts of God that he invites me to experience. I don't experience him in the fullness of, of being with me in my experiences, in my realities, in my emotions. I just shut it off. I'm not curious. I don't tell the truth. And they say, oh, that's, that's a sad thing. I'm not going there anymore. Let's just shut that off and just put that in a box. And that's on the shelf. See, the, the invitation for us as we look at this and as we think about what is God in our emotions, what do we do here? When we tell the truth, when we practice curiosity, we're actually moved into greater experiences with God. Isn't that what Mary and Martha experienced? First, they experience a God who says, yeah, bring it all. Bring all of your hurt, your questions, your fears, your anger. Bring it all. I am big. I was talking to a parent here recently who is experiencing some hard things with their kids. And they're saying, I don't know why they're feeling such big feelings toward me, but you know what? I think in this moment, I, 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 can, hand, I can hold all of that. I can hold all of that. You see, we have a God who says the same thing. We have a God who says, yeah, I can hold that. I can hold that. And see, when we do that, not only do we experience a God who says, yeah, bring me your brokenness, but we experience a God who says, Let, just watch what I can do with it. Watch the flourishing. Watch the, the, the goodness that can come from when we come and we tell the truth and we're curious and we bring our brokenness. We don't hide it. Watch what I can do. See, I've, I've been in ministry, and I, I want to end with this. I've been in ministry for a long time now, over 20 years. It's crazy, in one form or another. And as a young pastor, um, as a young pastor, I learned pretty quickly that, or at least the message that was given to me pretty quickly, was that people didn't actually want to hear from me. They wanted to hear from what they, who, I, who they thought that I was. You know, what I mean by that is, I mean, when I, when I first started pastoring, we went through some really hard things. A lot of health stuff, um, crisis of faith, uh, just uh, trouble, like hard stuff in our marriage. Like just, you know, I, I went through deconstruction before de deconstruction was cool, right? And, and going through all of these different things, but I realized that when I was, when I, when I tried to be open and honest with some of the things that I was feeling, what I got was, oh, no, 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 you're the pastor. You, you shouldn't have questions about faith. You shouldn't be curious about, like, is God really working in this or healing? You shouldn't have questions. Like, one, one time I, I told my board that I was really struggling with some, like, just getting everything done that I was supposed to do. It was 20, 25 or 6 at the time, and it's like the church was growing. I was like, I need help. I, I, I'm having a real hard time doing all this stuff. And, and one of the, the members on my board said, or you could do your job. Okay, message received. Do not be vulnerable. 
Message received. All you want to see from me is just a smiling face and, and a secure position on, on penal substitutionary atonement. All right. Glad to know it. And I got really good at that. I got really good at that. I looked really good. Uh, and, and even when I did share hard things, I, I was so good at just spinning it so it could be a really cool sermon illustration. And it sounded like it wasn't something I was currently going through, but something I had been through. And, you know, I'm past that and I'm so, you know, holy now because that's what we want to do. You see, that, that worked really well for me until I, I came under uh, another uh, pastor who, who, you know, at times, um, he was self-proclaimed bully. He, uh, he was pretty immature. Um, and and the, the, the ministry, it was just, there were things that as I was in that ministry, there were things that's like, that came up. It was like, man, I don't think this is good. I don't, I don't know about that. There are things that are happening that feels, that just feels off. But, but who has time to stop and be curious, right? I'm doing the Lord's work, right? All things work for the good of those who love him. So let's just keep going. And I, I kind of became the guy at the end of the parade, you know. I haven't been to a parade in a long time. But, but it used to be, you know, there were the guys at the end of the parade, the after everything and the horses. And there were the guys that picked up the poop after that. That was kind of me. That was my spiritual gift. Like, I just made everything. I'm the peacekeeper. I made everything. And that worked really well until the guy I was in ministry with said, you know, I don't actually need that in my ministry. And in a moment, I found myself without a job. My world was turned upside down. And in the midst of that chaos, I was confronted with the reality that all of that time where I was doing that stuff and, and functioning out of that space where I wasn't creating space, I was just covering it up. It was more about my self-protection than it was about God's kingdom. Because after all, it's like, man, if, I, if I'm honest with what I'm experiencing, where, I, I can't, can I be a pastor that has doubts? That doesn't seem, that doesn't, that seems like a pilot who's afraid of heights. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? Can I, can I even do, where's my faith going to be if I, if I say, I don't know if God is actually good at like, where, where's that, where, where am I going to be in that? And you see, when, when I was confronted with that, I was also confronted with the reality that there were so many people that, that I was leading in that space that were hurt and are still hurting because of my lack of action, my passivity. And, and I'm not, this isn't self-shaming. I'm like, me and God, we're, we're working through things still. But, but what, what I've seen in that, as I've experienced that, and as I experience, what does it look like to do this? What does it look like to say, yes, there is space for who you are and what I'm experiencing. There is space for my future hope and my present experience, my present reality. When I experience that and, and, then, and then bring it all and say, yeah, today is not a good day and I don't look good. And if you come and talk to me, I'm going to be like honest with and I'm not going to be like well you're a jerk that's not I'm, you're, you're not going to get that from me right that's not what telling the truth is but there are going to be times where it's like hey I'm not okay with that I'm feeling something I want to be curious because that is the invitation and I believe when we step into spaces like that and create space for our emotions space for our experiences what we do what we experience is a God who meets us there and a God who brings life into death when we experience and we say, I'm angry, 
God, what do you want me to do with my anger? I, I believe that we'll be moved into spaces where we get to, we get to, to serve the poor. We get to, we get to come into spaces where we weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. We get to be a church of life and a church that gives life because we serve a God who is, is with us in the midst of the, the highs and the lows, the goods and the bads, and he is the Lord over all. See, Compass Church, that's the invitation. It's not for us to look good and look the part and be all cleaned up. That is not it. The invitation is for us to come as broken people, still confused with what we're going through, serving a God who knows what tomorrow is going to bring. And so, amen. And so, therefore, therefore, church, my question for you this morning is where are you at in this? My initial question, what do you do when you feel feelings? What do you do when you experience emotions? What do you do? See, this morning, the invitation is to come to a God who says, "Ah, bring it. Bring it to me and see what I can do. Would you pray with me to, to that end? God, God, I confess that at times it is difficult to to do what we're talking about. It's difficult to live in this tension. It's difficult to live in this space. We have suffered loss. There are things that happen in our world, in our city, our country, our world that we do not understand. And God, I pray that you would not let us be people who just cover over. I I pray that you would not let us be people who just turn a blind eye. I pray that you would help us to be people who, who feel the depth of feelings because you feel them. I pray that you would help us to be people who get angry. I pray that you would help us to be people who, who, who are moved, who, who feel sad, who feel disgusted, who feel, who feel things. And God, I believe in that there is an invitation from you to bring those things to you. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be curious Help us, God. Help us to be truth tellers. And God, as we do that, I pray that you would help us to experience you. We love you, God, and we praise you, and it's in your name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.